Last time on the Kaiju Apostle Podcast. And it turns out that's not part of Egyptian mythology. That's part of Yu-Gi-Oh mythology. Well, there was that gas leak last year. Oh, don't blame it all on a gas leak. I never thought I'd ever say this sentence on this podcast. I was watching a great TikTok about this type of thing. Well, so something I did think about now that we're going into Cain and Abel, when I was looking through the ancient Christian commentary. Oh, you were able to find it? No, I wasn't. (laughs) But. So you cannot find it? I don't like Santa. It's coarse and rough and irritating. Bye! Welcome back to the Kaiju Apostle Podcast, a deep dive into Toho's rich history of monster films and discovering what lies beneath the surface. My name's Chris, and I'm here with my co-host, the gallant and the courtly Sir David. Ooh, gallant. I don't even think my wife's called me that before. (laughs) You're the knight in Monty Python Who Runs Away. So... Good to be back. Yeah, it is good to be back. We've actually had a few people tell us that. It's like, hey, it's good to have you guys back in the rotation and not just filler episodes. So, well, thank you, these strange internet people. (laughs) But we really haven't actually had a chance to talk much today. How are you doing, Chris? Well, let's see. Week 15 of shutdowns. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) it's, It's been great. I, you know, as much as working from home, it's been nice. It's kind of nice to be reopening and um, being outside when it's actually okay to be outside. So, yeah. Uh, how how are you in the same pandemic we are all facing? I'm pooped, man. Like, being a parent was tough and you throw another kid in and a kid that needs a lot of help, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's a lot. No, but I don't know. We're good. But- I know you're being nice I appreciate it but um yeah we uh we've been getting some good feedback it's weird like we just released an episode yesterday and then we're already recording an episode today because of how off our schedule is so this is strange like I'm for some reason my brain isn't able to process this um but we've been getting some really good feedback uh, on the past few episodes so far and we wanted to share some of that because we've had some questions that have been asked and that was a horrible segue so with transition (laughs) oh man it's john mulaney's segues are the best though (laughs) um so with the building a bridge episode i've had a few people message me and one person in particular was you know hey the first time i listened you know i just found myself wanting to correct everything but 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 and then they went back and re-listened and they felt like their defenses were down and they're able to really hear what Faye and I were trying to say. And that isn't me trying to say like what was discussed is this like an errant piece of truth. And if you disagree with us then you know, but it's really just I think the, some of the message we've been getting has solidified the fact that for a lot of people, what's been happening over the past few weeks has really like shaken the core foundation of what a lot of people thought was true, Mm, right? mm -hmm. Just this trust in law enforcement. Because I mean, I've even seen people who are, you know, I would say would be considered quite far on the right without being like alt-right, right? Kuwait. (laughs) And um, even they are like, yeah, no, we need more police oversight. Like they just, they never really saw these instances so explicitly. Right. Mm-hmm. So 
you know, I see a lot of people that are just starting to kind of have this process. And, and I just say that because it's really easy to assume people are just going to be quote unquote woke, right? Mm -hmm. We just want them to be at this point. We're not willing to give people a chance to actually have these conversations and grow. And it's not that I just want to encourage people that it's not that you're not taking these things seriously. Like you need to hold people accountable, but like we also need to give people the chance to be able to grow and change too. It's, I feel like sometimes it's hard when things are so volatile right now, right? Because we want everybody to be on the same page. Um, but I just personally have had some really good conversations as a result of that. And that's just kind of what I wanted to share some encouragement being like, Hey, if you, there, there, there's a difference between someone I saw this earlier between someone like stumbling and making mistakes. And then you have a difference between someone who's just straight up ignorant, right? Mm -hmm. Like we need to have grace for the people who are making mistakes, but trying, but the people who are just so hateful and ignorant, like love them, but might be good to kind of create some distance right now too. You know, right. that's the, that's the difference. There's, um, there's grace, but grace doesn't mean completely absolving people from change. Like we can hold mm -hmm. people's feet to the fire in terms of making changes to their mindsets without, and you can say like, Oh, okay. You can't, that, that was a microaggression or something like that. It, yeah. Grace does not mean not doing that, but it means um, calling him out but also like working with them. And I think that's kind of what we're hoping as two white guys who pretty much know probably a majority of white people. That's going to be a lot of what our work is, is helping keep ourselves educated, helping others get educated and using our positions of power as leverage for other people with power to say like, whoa, you can't do that anymore. Here's why. And kind of alleviating some of that stress yeah. that's been laid down previously. Absolutely. And I know that's kind of been a point of contention for a lot of people too, is the idea of powers and um, oppression and subjugation, all these words that they, they consider to be a liberal view of the world or whatever it is. Right. And I think people are, they, they, there's, and this specifically Christians are scared to take these ideas that they're like, well, it's not on the Bible, right. Or whatever argument they may have, which it's easy to dismiss that, but as anyone who holds any ideology, you want to keep your ideology as pure to the tenets of your belief as possible, right? Mm -hmm. But then it's kind of the argument of, well, some Christians were Plainists, some Christians were, you know, they, they followed Aristotle, right? I mean, no one, we've talked about this, no one doesn't have a bias. So, mm -hmm. you know, you could say, well, this person believes in what's considered like critical race theory, and that's not in the Bible. I'm like, okay, but you also believe in capitalism and that's not in the Bible either right so it's like we could do this all day right and that's so let's let's not do that and let's actually deal with the root of the matter well, especially for us as I mean for religious people in general but also as like people who consume a lot of fiction we know I mean we we should be conditioned to see the world as a place that can be full of failure a place that's full of evil right. uh, I mean especially like the one the film we're getting into tonight and some of the ones that we've done previously where we learned that corporations can themselves commit great acts of evil. It's hard to think that there's any religious system, whether explicitly religious or not, that doesn't have categories for evil and systemic evil. 
So yeah. why in the real world is it hard to accept when we can accept these villains in fiction? It's an interesting dissonance. So I wanted to share some feedback as well um, with uh, our last episode as well, War of the Gargantuas. So very surprised at how <laughs> much you guys enjoyed the uh, conversation on the analysis of the films and kind of where we're coming from. I mean, obviously, Chris, you and I enjoy it, um, but we weren't really sure how that would, res- you know, how that translate for other people. Sorry, I'm gonna insert insert rim shot there, um, but uh, we had a we had a couple questions that we just thought we'd answer really quick before getting into uh, the movie this night, <laughs> the movie tonight. Oh wow! So the first question comes from Nathan, um, old Zimzilla. So he asked, since you guys talked about analyzing a film through a translation and what you bring from your own background. What's your take on a translation when that is all that's left of a film? Would you say then that the film's true meaning will be forever lost? So I wanted to let you answer that one, Chris. Oh, thank you. Um, I would say like in terms of uh, like in general, no. If we have someone who knows what the original film was, Mm -hmm. like you talk about oral traditions of the Gospels or how a lot of Jewish traditions are passed down orally. Like there's been a lot of study about how oral traditions, especially in like native cultures and in East Asian cultures, there's oral traditions that are super like resource or not uh, super transmittable and they're reliable. That's what I was looking for. So if someone knows it and can pass along, it's not lost. Or if someone even wrote in a book or like a, promo material this is what the meaning of the movie is i don't think it's lost we may lose the authority to say the movie says this and i can prove it but it's not necessarily lost but the version you're watching if it's a translation i would say does not wholly carry the the 100 percent original meaning yeah unless yeah and that's even if they did the best translation ever you know you still like we talked about last week there's a certain element where when you translate one thing from another, you are committing some form of violence on that, right? Yeah. Which we did have someone ask about that as well. Um, so how would you define violence in that context when Gadamir talks about how all trans... So what was it? All interpretation? Yeah, all translation is interpretation. interpretation. And all yeah. interpretation is violence. And really, I think violence sounds like a strong term. One, because in general, we only ascribe the word violence to like physicality. And we don't think about it in terms of emotion or spiritual damage. But violence in this sense just means it's been changed. And generally, you could even say it's not it's against the author's will that it's been changed. They might have like, okayed the translation as if as if many writers have that much control over their published work. But even with their okay of you translating, it's still changing it and it's still taking it away from what they said. So you are, by definition, when you translate, changing, like almost putting words in the, putting words, meanings, and ideas in the author's mouth that they weren't necessarily going for when they originally wrote that. Yeah. So, like what we saw with War of the Gargantuas, right? There is no, intent to have a 
a, not really a, a lesson, but the Adam and uh, <laughs> I did it again. See, again, the Cain and Abel. So, but that's it. I mean, you're looking at War of the Gargantuas, for example, right? So, the you know Honda and everyone else didn't mean to talk about Cain and Abel, yeah. but the American production company or whoever did the the subtitles. I mean, that's what they did, or not the subtitles when they dubbed the voices. That's what they did. That's not genuine mm-hmm. to the film at all. Now. You might make the argument of you could see it, but is that an accurate way to translate and interpret the film? Which, again, that was the point. Yeah. But I would say, in a sense, yeah, that's violence. That's he completely took what was said there and changed it to something entirely different. Especially since we can say that a Cain and April reference is like we, I think we said this, just a contextual that we don't know if the Cain and Abel story is really that deep in Japanese. Mm-hmm. cultural significance that it would come up every time brothers fight. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Well, let's go ahead and get into tonight's movie. Um, we are discussing Ebera horror of the deep released on December 17th, 1966. It's all cold in December, but we're going to go to the island and have a fun time. (laughs) I've got nothing really witty to say, but Chris, if you'd like to do the plot summary for us, that would be wonderful. So, yeah. So just when you thought it was safe to go back in the... Hey, I... I think we already did this. Uh Uh-huh. So let's do this. When Ryota loses his brother at sea and tries to take matters into his own hands, he ends up on the journey of a lifetime. With his new friends Nita and Ichino in tow, they end up breaking into a yacht, only to find criminal mastermind Yoshimura, played by the enigmatic Akira Takarada. The ship ends up crashing on Lechi, or the Devil's Island, thanks to a giant kaiju crustacean, Ebera. They discover the terrorist organization called the Red Bamboo has enslaved a handful of infant island natives for their nefarious schemes. Namely, making a bunch of yellow jeeves to keep old Ebi away. Also on the island is Dayo, portrayed by Kumi Mitsuno, another infant island native. And not only do they discover Ryota's brothers on infant island, but the Devil's Island also has another occupant, Godzilla. Whoa. Whoa. (laughs) Between a sleeping giant, seafood to die for, and a bunch of dapper terrorists, our protagonists find themselves between a rock and a hard place. Thankfully, Ryota and Yada reunite, and Godzilla turns up the heat on Ebera, but not before Ebera takes out the entire Red Bamboo organization in one fell swoop. Oh, yeah, and there's a tacked-on message about the dangers of atomic bombs. But I think we're getting into that later, right? Yep. We'll spend more time on it than they did. (laughs) Yes, yes, we will. Awesome. Thanks, Chris. So I would say this is our introduction to Jun Fukuda as director. But as we see, that's not necessarily the case with these films so far. Um, the The script was written by Shinichi Sekizawa. Uh, Tomoyuki Tanaka was the producer. Uh, so coming back to do music was uh, Masaru Sato. So I don't know if you remember, he's the one that did the music for Godzilla Raids Again. So kind of how it was a little bit mm, more unique with that film. Um, but he was pretty much the favorite, his go-to guy for uh, Kiro, uh, Akira Kurosawa. Um, so that's why it's a little bit of a different feel, but I personally like Sato's scores, especially in this film. It's 
a lot of fun. Um, Kazuo Yamada was uh, in charge of cinematography. And then, you know, Eiji Tsuburaya, as always, was director of special effects. Cast-wise, I felt like this is probably one of the best lineups we've had in a while. Um, so Akira Takarada plays Yoshimura, the thief. Um, you may remember him as actually one of the, uh, in the original Godzilla film, he was in the love triangle. And honestly, like, I feel like he's come such a long way since that movie too. Um, then we have, uh, Kumi Mizuno as Dayo, uh, Toru Watanabe as Ryota, and then Hideo, as Sunazuka as Nita. So in the group of people, he's the guy in the brown hoodie, um, Shotaro Togen as Ichino. So he's the one wearing the yellow jacket. And then we have Toru Ibuki as Yada. That is Ryota's brother. And then Akihiko Harada as the red bamboo captain. It's kind of weird seeing Dr. Sarazawa back with an eye patch, but here we are. And then, uh, wait, he didn't have an eye patch in this one, did he? Yeah, he did. Okay. And then uh, June Tazaki as the red bamboo base commander. Uh, Hideo Amamoto as the red bamboo captain. Um, we're actually going to see him in a future film that King Kong escapes. He's the main bad guy in that movie. Oh, a King Kong movie that actually came out? Yeah. Huh. And then, uh, unfortunately, the Peanuts do not return as the Shobijin. Mm. It's a pair Bambi. I don't really have much information on them. And then uh, Haru Nakajima plays Godzilla and also an infant islander. And then we have Hiroshi Sakita as Ebera. Okay, so a little bit of trivia here. So I said, you know, this was uh, not technically Jun Fukuda's introduction into the series because he was actually Ishiro Honda's assistant on Rodan. I did not know that. Okay. So it wasn't his first <laughs> kaiju film. Um, this also would not be the first time Fukuda worked with both Takarada and Harada. Um, they both starred in the movie 100 Shot, 100 Killed which was a spoof of the James Bond series. Um, <laughs> Sato also took a few themes and cues from this movie, being 100 Shot, 100 Killed, and reused them in Ebra. Um, there was other hmm. actors that came from that movie to this one as well, but I didn't want to list all of those out. Those were the more prominent ones. So, okay. Chris, I told you I was going to surprise you this yeah. episode, right? Uh -huh. So, as a lot of the listeners probably know, Godzilla wasn't the original monster to fight Ebera. It was really supposed to be King Kong. Oh. Yeah. So that's why we see a lot of similarities between the 1933 film and King Kong vs. Godzilla, including Godzilla finding strength through electricity, uh -huh. Godzilla's focus on a woman character, Right. Uh -huh. And just overall, like the fact that all the monsters in these films have no powers at all. It would sure, have fit right. perfectly for King Kong. Um, Interesting. Right. Yeah. I thought you would find that intriguing. He was just going to be locked in that mountain, too. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty much. Oh, okay. Sure. Yeah. And I would love to throw this out there for anyone who knows. My, my thought about this is I get that they couldn't do it because of rights and stuff, but like, in my head, I'm kind of like, wouldn't you change the plot to accommodate the monsters instead of just throwing them in there? But I don't know how far along in the process they were, right? So that's where I'm like, eh, I get it. But it's strange to me that you wouldn't have changed really anything. So, mm -hmm. um, 
I did say that E.G. Subaraya was in charge of special effects, right? Um, technically, though, he only gets an honorary credit here because he was really focused on War of the Gargantuas. I did not find who was actually in charge of uh, the special effects and all that, um, so I'm sure someone will correct me on that. <laughs> Twitter. Hurry. It's <laughs> so Twitter wrong on the internet. <laughs> Twitter mob assemble. Um, I'm like, and share while you're here. Right. <laughs> uh, so it's the same Godzilla suit as Invasion of Astro Monster, which is why it looks so ratty. Um, and fun fact. It's in a mountain. Excuse you. Yeah. Uh, and fun fact. Fukuda is on record later in his life saying that between crippled by an incredibly reduced budget and thinking the, origi the original sh never should have had a sequel, he's not a fan of the Godzilla movies he made. Which is a shame. So. Uh, we did our poll this week. is probably my favorite poll we've done so far. Um, so Chef Godzilla comes to your table and asks how you would like your Ebra prepared. You answer... So we had four options, garlic and butter, tempura, Cajun seasoning, and vegetarian. So biolante, please. <laughs> Which, Chris, that's you guys will find out a plant monster down the road. Oh. Uh, yeah. So garlic and butter won with 26 votes. So 46% of the votes. Uh, tempura got 11 votes. Uh, Cajun seasoning got 13, and vegetarian only got six. I'm so alone here. I know. I was going to say, sorry, man. Um, <laughs> and I wasn't even one of those six because I'm not throwing off the results of our old bow. <laughs> yeah, I, I totally would have voted for Cajun myself. Um, yeah. Cooked by atomic breath. <laughs> man, I seriously love Cajun food, though. It's so good. Okay. So before we get in, uh, let's do our Twitter conversation. I asked, with Ebra Horror of the Deep, we find the first non-Honda-helmed Godzilla film since Godzilla raids again, and it shows. Do you feel having Fukuda take the reins was a good move? Or did the series go down the wrong path without Honda? So before I read some answers, Chris, you know the drill. What did you think before going into this? And how do you feel about the film? How, how would you answer those questions? So I just I'm looking at the picture you posted on this tweet and Godzilla's tails in between his shoulder blades on it. So I think we need to post this one in the show notes if we can. <laughs> That's the Criterion <laughs> cover too. That's oh awesome. no, Criterion. <laughs> uh, let's see what the HBO one is. It'll be glowing blue Godzilla. Anyway, um, so I, I'll kind of answer these in a little different. A little different order. So I, it definitely takes a noticeable shift when you compare it to the other Honda ones. But I don't feel like it's a I don't feel like it's big like Godzilla rates again. Um, but in general, I'm not I don't I think if you lose the original director, I don't think that means you have to end the series. So I don't know if it. I wouldn't say it went down the wrong path. I just think that we might start seeing it get executed a little more poorly than it could. I mean, the first, it's not as if every single one we've watched so far has had like a, an amazing plot. It's not an amazing moral message or thesis statement, but um, if, if it doesn't pick up a little bit, I could see why some people would complain. 
but I'm also watching these in release order compared to the new ones first. So I'm a little biased in that sense. But in terms of like, what did I expect? I feel like we're in no Chris land. I have no expectations. I have no idea. The first thing that I think about almost any of these films is the thumbnail when you're trying to stream it. And so I'm like, hmm, this one's got a shrimp in it. Interesting. <laughs> <laughs> so I truly, I truly like some of these. I think I said this with uh, the invasion that I've like heard of it, but had no concept of what it is. This one, if you didn't say Ebra again before I read the thing, I would have probably been like, oh, crap. How do you say this again? Like, I'm just so unfamiliar with it. Yeah. So I came in with nothing. I came into this world naked and I will leave it. No. Um, but in terms of knowing that it just in terms of knowing that it went to a different director afterwards, I, I think I felt it. Not in a huge substantial this is the end of Godzilla way, but mm-hmm. you feel the you feel the tonal shift. And if we're being totally honest, I'm about to get like blocked and unfollowed by so many people right now. I kind of don't mind the tonal shift. I'm a little, I'm okay that it kind of picked up a little bit because I'm so used to like Toku kind of leaning into the campiness. Mm-hmm. So like as I watch more Common Rider, as I watch more Sentai, I'm getting used to people saying like these are these are people in rubber suits. We got to play this up a little bit. So I've kind of appreciated the lighter tone. Yeah, and so I think there's two factors without like being completely wrong about the history because I know this is where people can get really sensitive about something. No, that's not actually how it happened. Um, So if I had two guesses, one is the fact that this wasn't supposed to be a Godzilla movie. Yeah. So obviously it's going to feel different, but I think once the movie actually happened, my guess is Toho looked at this and they're like, okay, maybe we're onto something, right? Like, I don't know how it did financially, but... Mm -hmm. If you get butts in the seat, if you get people caring about it again, that's kind of the goal, right? So Yeah, exactly. So I think that's part of it. But then something to remember, too, is by this point, Ultraman would have already been on TV for months now. Sure. So stuff like that. I mean, Gamera would have already had two films, at least two films by this point. So the whole landscape of not only tokusatsu, but just kaiju related material is a lot different than even five six years ago at this point right now we're kind of almost like it's this boom to the extent that it becomes oversaturated um yeah so yeah so i think again i think big part of it though is the shift is it wasn't supposed to be a godzilla film but then it starts leaning into that more and more and more and eventually you're just like okay well this is where we're at Um, but the consensus, I mean, almost every single reply we got. Wait, before you get into Twitter. So, yeah. So this is, I just, for the viewers at home, I haven't heard any of these responses because I'm trying to avoid spoilers. Right. Um, but I do want to say quick that this one, like this one felt like it was the first really good way to get kids into the Godzilla franchise again, Mm -hmm. um, without having him dab or send a message on Fortnite. Like, I thought this was a good way to kind of tone it down kid-wise without kid kidifying it. 
You know what I mean? Does that make sense? Press F for respects. <laughs> but um, I do, I do want to put this. I want to put this out here as the hook for people to keep listening. I have a question based on what you just said that I think after our discussion, I want to revisit. Okay. And maybe even post it to the listeners. So when David gives a set, an answer you don't like, tweet at him. Please. Okay, Please sorry. Do. Now back to the now back to the Twitter comments. No, you're good. You're from good. our lovely and not lovely followers. Man, apart from like the the life coach people that I still don't get why you're following us, like we have awesome followers. So um but yeah, I mean honestly, we've got some I don't think anyone replied to this tweet without saying that. I mean, everyone likes this movie for the most part. It doesn't mean that it's a perfect movie. It doesn't mean that it's the best, but I don't know what this guy's name is or a girl. I don't know. Um, okay. He's a guy I'm looking at his, uh, his profile here. Um, but he just said, Ebra effing slaps, right? So he goes <laughs> on, talks about that. Um, you know, obviously, uh, never fate says the loss of the deeper themes from earlier works is something I miss in the Fukuda helmed entries, but I adore Ebera, Horror of the Deep. Great adventure movie with fun characters. Akira Takarada plays my all-time favorite human character in the franchise here as a master thief. Um, and then we go on to uh, Andrew Roebuck um, says, I love Ebera, Horror of the Deep. It's an absolute blast and feels like a giant monster beach party. While, of course, <laughs> lacking the depth of many Honda features, it is hard to be in terms of just being an incredibly fun adventure movie. And then lastly, we have Faye, who if you've listened to her past few episodes, you know who that is. She says it's a good move since it let the franchise flourish and do unique things. And I just I feel like that really sums it up, right? You look at this movie to me. It's not a perfect movie, but whereas War of the Gargantuas, it had some fun monster action, but just the human characters were not compelling whatsoever. And it it when your humans aren't interesting, it's hard to keep it go. Keep it's hard for me to keep going because that's the thrust of the movie, right? Mm -hmm. So I'm like, it's just it feels like a slog. Whereas with this one, the monster action was fun. You know, like Ebera as a monster on paper sounds like the most boring kaiju in the world. It's just a giant shrimp, right? Lobster, mm -hmm. crab, whatever you want to call it. But it's also one of the best looking suits that we've seen to date. Like how intricate it is, all the details. Like they clearly put a lot of time and attention into it. That's but not true. only, you know, is the monster action fun, but the characters like actually care about them, right? Like they actually give them, it's not like this deep introspective dive into, you know, the depravity of man or anything. Like, I mean, there's nothing in that capacity. But sure. you have characters who are charismatic. You have characters who make funny jokes. You know, like, uh, we'll talk about it later. But one of my favorite lines in this movie is when Dio says, you know, Mothra is sleeping. But once our prayers reach her, she's sure to wake and come save us. And then the character is like, you should have set an alarm clock. And I just <laughs> every time I lose it, it's so good. So I'm like, there's just this writing that Sekizawa has that, I mean, Kimura is a great writer, don't get me wrong, but just mm -hmm. the humor in this film is just, you know, because even Takarada's character, he's just like, you know, I, you, you guys have your girlfriends and I've got my lock picking. It's just, 
simple <laughs> things like that. I just, I don't know. I just, I have such a fun time watching this movie. And really, even more than even like Frankenstein Conquers the World, like this is one of the first films we've watched since, well, really the only film we've watched since Invasion of Astro Monster where I'm like, I actually care about the people on the screen, right? Yeah, it definitely had a few more of those little moments that let them kind of just develop a bit of a personality without going too deep. But just those little throwaway lines are really kind of the core at building up a character is giving them just a little bit to talk about like that. Yeah. But um, yeah, and I don't know. I think if you're like Faye says, if this is where the franchise takes the springboard into new directions... I'm okay with some growing pains. Like this wasn't an entirely bad movie. I think a lot of the comments that I'm scanning over quickly call it fun. And for a movie that's a transition movie, fun is a lot of what you can ask for. Yeah. We've seen some truly bad movies like at the in-between where it's trying to figure out where it's going. Like the MCU. I know. Cheap Pacha. I know. But if if your movie, if the worst thing you'd say about the movie was, well, it's fun, he still did all right. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, that's one of those things where unfortunately, like with Godzilla Raids again, I mean, I want to go back and revisit it. But to me, it's just not a fun movie. Right. Yeah. I just it's not. It's not one that I'm like, oh, I really want to watch that again. The majority of people who do want to watch it, it's because of the Godzilla and Angerus fight, which I get that. But, you know, there's there's some human elements there that are interesting. But as a whole, it's a it's you're talking about growing pains like that's like six month old teething growing pains. It's just screaming <laughs> the worst thing ever. You lose sleep over it. Um, but in this situation, yeah, you're right. It's fun. And uh, Alex on I don't remember if it was on his own podcast or they were talking about he was on another one for Monsters vs. Men is he was saying like for him, the biggest sin a movie could commit is not being fun and I don't necessarily agree with that or being enjoyable right and I don't think yeah. I agree with that you know movies like uh, Bong Joon-ho's mother like it's one of the best movies I've ever seen I did not enjoy a single moment of it and I never <laughs> want to watch it again yeah yeah, yeah but, exactly but as a whole I agree with that if I'm not enjoying myself I don't I wouldn't say it's a good movie right I've I've warmed up to King of the Monsters because of that, where I'm like, I'm having fun in spite of what frustrates me. So I'm like, if I can have fun watching this movie, I would say it's at least doing something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm on I'm on the lowest I'm the lowest common denominator when it comes to movie criticism or what movies I enjoy or not. But I could easily say personally that a fun movie just covers many sins. And if I'm having a blast, I don't really care um, about some of the problems. Like, you want to talk about a movie riddled with problems, you can say Solo is technically mm -hmm. should be a bad movie. But it's fun, and I enjoy myself every time I watch it. But I also know that there are movies that are objectively good, like Parasite, that I'm like, I should love this. I mean, this is a great movie, but I'm bored. <laughs> so yeah. I don't know I, I'm I'm lowbrow when it comes to that so all these great like Kane Film Festival movies I'm like okay there's something gonna blow up because honestly I need something to blow up and I'm not talking about relationships blowing up I'm talking about fire <laughs> yeah 
That's funny you say that about Solo, though, because I would rewatch Solo over Rise of Skywalker any day of the week. Well, Rise of Skywalker <laughs> has the double whammy of being both bad and not fun. So I know. <laughs> like, I'm so glad. I'm so glad we got to hang out for that. But like, if it wasn't that was your nephew, right? Or uh, cousin. your cousin. OK, I can't remember yeah. if it wasn't for your cousin. Like, I would have been so miserable. But seeing him have the time of his life it, that kind of redeemed it for me see and if it was fun for him it was fun for someone and it's forgivable there but yeah yeah i we could go on about that we could but <laughs> but that's me. i mean but remember we filmed the we filmed the white behemoth episode right after mm-hmm. with uh, game around the space women which is what i call the movie because i can't remember what it's actually called that should actually be the name so At the end of this episode, there will be a link for a change.org petition. So we're going to change Gamera Super Monster to Gamera and the Space Women. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. So, but Gamera and the Space Women, like, I had fun with that one. And I mean, it could have been because we were together. And it could have been because, like, what the (laughs) this movie. And so, so yeah, I mean, fun fun covers so many sins. And this one is kind of that. So. Yeah, I've actually had uh, starting to watch the Gamera films on my own, and I still, as bad as it sounds, Gamera Super Monster is the worst movie I've seen in this whole series, everything we've been doing, and I've had more fun watching that than the other Gamera films. I'm like, I don't know what that says. Yeah. But yeah, I just, I think something that's just really interesting about this movie is like, there's not, there's no heavy-handed themes, right? It's It's not a sci-fi flick. It's not some philosophical or ethical discussion really about anything, right? I mean, you know, you could talk about, well, it maybe it touches on slavery, right? Because you have the infant island natives and yeah. You know, they uh I I do like the whole subversive nonviolent resistance, right? The whole like, hey, we're gonna take all these fruits and, you know, take them out and replace them with the leaves. So then when they use the the mist against Ebra doesn't do anything. I was like, oh, that's actually really clever. I like that, yeah. right? I don't know what it is about Sekizawa and colored liquids. It just seems like all of his movies have that. Um, but it's not red this time, so that's good. Mm-hmm. But the bamboo is. Touche. <laughs> um, but yeah, we just, we don't really have the typical things that we've come to expect in a Godzilla film. And just ultimately, I'm I'm okay with that. Yeah, same. Because really, there's what's so funny is it's not that we don't want to discuss anything. There's just not a whole lot here. But again, compared to War of the Gargantuas, I'm fine with that because it didn't try to say anything, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's a perfect way to sum it up. Yeah. Like, I felt like War of the Gargantuas was it wanted something to come out, but... You know, we clearly, if you've listened to the episode, know we struggled. Yeah. And, you know, there is, and there's definitely things you can take away from it, right? This idea of, you know, where the gargantuas, this idea of trying to, you know, the the idea of warring brothers, you know, how do you make peace, all this stuff. And I, I've seen people make those arguments, but it's not explicit, right? And that's the whole point. This podcast mm-hmm. wouldn't exist if there weren't implicit things. Um, but I feel like, there's a difference between trying to say something and then just falling on your face. And then this one mm. here, they just really aren't trying to say anything. And that's okay. I mean, Jun Fukuda is clearly 
a comedy and action director and it, it did really well because of it. Um, so getting back to that Twitter post though, Chris, I mean, do you feel like compared to what we've seen before, was this the route the movies needed to go? And do you feel like this disrespects the original and what Honda tried to do with these movies? Cause I think the, the reality needs to be said that the original is what it is. Yep. And once Toho smelled blood in the water, you're going to lose any form of just trying to say something right now. Yep. There's the, the, the profitability. And I mean, that's just, it's inevitable. And mm-hmm. there's no director that is always going to just, I just want to be this prophetic voice in the wilderness, right? Even Spike Lee, Spike Lee is still trying to make money, right? Spike Lee still mm-hmm. has people sign his checks. So yep. I think we have to remember that. So again, is this the route the movies needed to go? And do you feel like this does disrespect the original? Well, let me be a, let me be pedantic and say, did it need to go? No, mm-hmm. because we, I mean, I, I know, but we didn't need any more. Just like we didn't need any more Star Wars or Ghostbusters. So Indiana Jones. Yeah, well, mm-hmm. but like, did it need to go? Did it need to change if it was going to continue? I'll stop being pedantic now. I'll play along. If it was going to continue past the past couple we've seen, did it need to change? As a as a twenty seven year old in twenty twenty, yeah, I I don't know how much of the same ones I could have put up with. Mm-hmm. Um, and I say put up as if I haven't been enjoying myself, but I feel like if we had too many that were closer in tone to War of the Gargantuas, trying to say something but not, it would have. I think that would have really worn me down. And probably you would have worn down the original audiences too. Mm-hmm. And especially when you think of how does any franchise survive, it needs to aim younger without being insulting to the older. It needed to tone down age-wise pretty soon. And I think this is a good way to do it without... Uh, you know, sometimes in like Sentai, for example... If they needed to tone the age down, they would add an actual child who would become one of the Power Rangers. Mm-hmm. Like they did that, they didn't need to go that way. So I think this was a good direction. As for was it disrespectful to the original movie? Absolutely, because this is a capitalist invention on what was a prophetic message has now become part of a capitalist money making machine. If you think of like, Again, to bring up Rise of Skywalker again, they continue to beat this rotting, decayed, dead horse. Like, corporations are going to do the path of least resistance to make the path of most money. So, if it means not having a thesis statement but still releasing a movie, absolutely, I think anybody's capable of doing that. Now, does it... If it's disrespectful in a capitalist sense... Do I think it's wrong for the series to give up on thesis statements? No. I think I think we see that with the MCU. Again, another easy contemporary choice. But like you've got the big Avengers movies and you've just got other movies along the way. Mm-hmm. I don't see that as a bad way to keep keep it alive. Like was there it's am I gonna say Fakudo is a bad guy for making these? No, absolutely not. I think he knew what he was playing, and I think he, I think Fukuda knew the world he was playing around in, and worked well within it. Yeah, and 
we know from his way. Well, I mean, you've already said that he thought the first one didn't need sequels. So to whatever extent his hands were tied in making this, we know that there was at least an awareness of what he was doing. Yeah. So I'm not going to ascribe any evils to it. And even I'm being sort of cheeky by saying it is disrespectful, but that is from a money making corporate sense compared to the the movie itself is not a slap on the face to fans. And if people take the tonal shift as such, I disagree. That's a nice way I'll put that. You know, I think for me, and we kind of talked about this on the phone the other night, you know, there's, there's a subset of a fan of the fandom where they, when they discuss the movies by era, right? Showa, Heisei, Millennium, et cetera. They, they lump everything together as if all these movies feel and look the same. And they really don't. It's this categorization that ultimately is actually very arbitrary. Uh, we, we'll mm-hmm. discuss that down the road. Um, but when you have movies like Gojira and King Kong vs. Godzilla being able to inhabit the same space, clearly it's not because of the tone, right? It's mm-hmm. just because of the proximity of each other. Um but I feel like this this kind of movie, you know, you have people who are just like, oh, you know, the older movies are campy, they're silly and all that stuff. But like, that's not necessarily a bad thing. And the original, no. right? I mean, yes, it had a very deep message, but that's not why, to me, it's so good. Like, you look at the work that was actually done. It was so revolutionary. The acting is great. The music is great. The script is great, right? To me, that's why the original will, will be my favorite forever because of the quality of what it is. Of course, yes, I love the message it has, but ultimately the message in any movie that I appreciate the most is Mothra vs. Godzilla. I actually think Mm -hmm. that's, you know, the pinnacle Godzilla movie. So, like, you know, we look at this film here and it shouldn't be penalized because it's not the original, right? We, we, Right. we, We do these things where we try to compare these, well, it's not this or it's not that. It doesn't matter. Just judge it for what it is. But, you know, in a way, I feel like Fukuda almost, and I don't know if it's really Fukuda, maybe it's Sekizawa, you know, they, they have something at the end of the movie with the explosion and Mothra is taking them away, where there's this line that I feel like it's, it's biting against this idea of every movie has to have a message. So our characters, you know, it's uh, uh, one of the, I think, I'm trying to remember which one it was. Um, I believe it was uh, Achino. Where he says, talks about, you know, but this is not the end of atomic bombs. Let's hope they're used wisely or not at all. And then Takarada's character is like, thanks for the lecture, professor. Mm -hmm. Right? Like, the movie hasn't really dealt with nuclear bombs much at all. And granted, yes, there's bombs on the island and all that. But, like, there's not, it's really just in the context of Godzilla. Because they recognize that the atomic bomb created Godzilla. It's just this, it doesn't really have a place in the movie. And then Takara's character is like, yeah, okay, whatever. Like, that's not important mm-hmm. right now. And in a way, I, I don't know if that was intentional, but I feel like that's so important to this, where it's like, just watch the movie for what it is. You don't necessarily have to have, you know, this sermon with these movies. Like, we've, we've I don't, again, I don't know if that's good or bad, but I feel like that's just kind of the route that we're going right now. And sometimes I feel like, you know, when you're watching any form of, you know, if it's a TV, a TV show or movie, 
sometimes we can strive so hard to find something that we're not being honest with what we're watching. We're kind of molding it into our own image, right? Mm-hmm. And yeah, be creative. Sure. Like we, you know, we have no problem doing that. But I'm not going to watch, you know, Frankenstein Conquers the World. And all of a sudden now I think it's some like, you know, dissertation on the dangers of Marxism or anything like that. I mean, that mm-hmm. would just be so disingenuous to the movie. Right. right. But as we saw, did it talk about the sanctity of human life? Yeah, it absolutely did. That's not a stretch. Right. And that's going to be part of our job is just saying what's a what's a stretch, what's inherent and keeping those separate. Mm-hmm. But I think part of I think part of maybe something we've kind of jumped over, maybe accidentally, is just like the tonal shift of Godzilla himself. Yeah. And the way he acted in the first and the way he is now. Like I, the the shift towards the heroic Godzilla happened, or at least a sympathetic Godzilla, happened a lot earlier than I thought it did. Because I know he was a tool of the military in the 2014 movie. But um, it, it the question is, like, does all of the symbolism that was loaded into Godzilla and Gojira, does that still apply? Or do we kind of have to keep an open hand with that symbolism and just say, well... He's not really a nuclear allegory anymore. Yeah. Do you think maybe that even has something to do with just like, you know, obviously we're looking at 20 years removed at this point, not Mm -hmm. saying that people have accepted what's happened, but at a certain point, I mean, you kind of have to, you can't obviously go back and change anything, right? So maybe that's reflective of the attitude of just accepting what's happened and trying to move on. But you know, in this situation, it, it doesn't take away from the, the horror of what happened. But at a certain point, you know, Miroslav Volf, you know, the end of memory, he talks about the idea of remembering rightly. And at a certain point, you don't necessarily like forget and or like forget in the sense of like this doesn't matter anymore. But to move mm-hmm. on from trauma and from these moments, like there is a certain point where you do have to let go. So... I don't know, is maybe maybe that's reflective of their attitude of trying to, you know, this is a new Japan where it's post-war. The 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 horror that was the atomic bombs isn't it's not that's not important, but it's not as maybe drastic or in your face. And I'm not super familiar with the history, so I don't want to say yes or no, but I don't know. Yep. Maybe that's something that someone could tease out more than we could. Yeah, and I have no framework for Figuring out what that looks like, what the communal healing from the trauma looks like. Mm -hmm. But I can say that it does seem like this heroic slash sympathetic Godzilla does resonate, at least to some extent. And as much as you still see it later, like they don't reverse course and turn Godzilla back into a villain in the next film. Yeah. So there does seem to be something that either says audiences were fine with the transition of the allegory or maybe they just didn't see him as that allegory anymore anyway. So I don't want to cling too tightly to something that maybe no one else did. We really just need to blame this on King Kong. This is all King Kong's fault. I agree. You know, he got it delayed. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It keeps getting delayed because he's just not quite ready for that. They should just replace in this next one. They should just replace King Kong with Godzilla like they did for this one. Yeah. So Godzilla versus Godzilla? Yeah. 
it's a fascinating introspective look on Godzilla and his inner demons. <laughs> okay. Um, you know, I will say though, we we're talking about how there is really isn't a whole lot to be said. Um, you know, I, I did find something interesting though. So in light of kind of what's been happening in our country over the past few weeks, um, I was really starting to think about the concept of prayer in moments of uh, like an oppression and angst and anger, right? Um, you know, I talked about that, that whole, you know, Mothra is sleeping, but once our prayers reach her, she's sure to wake up and come save us. Um, you know, there's, there's definitely in the Bible, and you can speak more to the Old Testament than I can, but this idea of praying out to God and where is he? Right. I yeah. mean, the Psalms are littered with that of prayers of just like, you know, Lord, don't forsake me. Please hear my cries. My enemies are overtaking me. And ultimately, the psalmist knows that God will deliver. But in that moment, deliverance isn't there. Right. Mm -hmm. And we see that we, we see this movie. The characters really just hold on to hope, whether it's the main character finding his brother and just defying the odds and doing whatever he has to do to find his brother, right? Or mm -hmm. this idea that Mothra will come and save the, the, the islanders from um, slavery, which realistically, I mean, people had already been killed. They tried escaping. There's this huge giant crab in the ocean that's going to kill them. So like, they don't really have a lot of reason to hope, but Dio doesn't lose that hope. She's willing mm -hmm. to keep praying that Mothra does listen, you know, because the thing is, you know, and this idea of faith that a lot of people have is it's just wishful thinking, right? Matthew Bass talks about that and, you know, salvation um, by allegiance alone, where if, if you view faith as just, I want something, and I'm going to hope for it. What are you going to do? You're just going to sit around and wait. And that's not the biblical example of what faith is, right? Mm -hmm. It's It's this idea of, okay, I know I have this trust in something that is unshakable and unmovable, and that's God. And I'm going to go out there and I'm going to walk in that confidence knowing that who he is, that he is going to order my steps. He is going to make all paths straight, right? And that's what we see is we see characters that their, their hope isn't just in some whimsical, flimsy thing and their their decisions like I mean again the main character like he he's trying he, he's doing everything he can to the extent of setting a stolen yacht to sail on the open sea while people are sleeping like he steals this boat to find mm -hmm. his brother like he's just not messing around at all right yeah I think that's a huge there's a huge thing in a lot of I think I, I obviously can't say every religion, but there's a lot of synergy in in most religions that I'm familiar with in terms of it's not just like chill and wait for God to act, mm -hmm. but that God has in in different ways, depending on the system, it wants to do that work with humans. And to go to Roman or to go to the Christian perspective, you said go to the Old Testament, but I'm actually going to take us to the new. So you've got N.T. Wright. And one of his students who argue that Romans 8, when it talks about God works out everything for the good who loves them, he argues that the Greek really kind of better says God works along with those who love him to turn everything to the good. Mm -hmm. 
So you've got all of this, like, there is this faith aspect, but it's like, what does God want to do with us? What does God want to do through us? And it was the same, at least in the Old Testament. It can't talk more to, like, other Jewish sects in the future, but the Old Testament has that same, like, God's doing something, but it's through us. I think you see that in early Islam, too. Like, Allah has this plan, and it's going to happen through his human subjects. That's why we struggle. That's why we have that identity with him. So yeah. I think I think this really kind of reflects a lot of, a really kind of a lot of mainstream views of God. It's not just that, like, good luck, mm-hmm. but it's like, what can I do to kind of be a part of this process? Yeah. And of course, there's still the divine interference. I mean, they find this happens to be where Godzilla's chilling in a mountain. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> like, there's there's the randomness, but we also look at this and like, what do we do? How can we be part of this? Yeah, yeah. And there's an element of divine timing, right? Because I mean, think about it, if they would have if if Daya would have come across Godzilla or any of them would have come across Godzilla before that. You know, would they have done? There's just all these things that fall into place. And of course, yes, we're talking about a scripted movie. But I mean, anything in life, I think about, you know, when Harla was born um, with this whole COVID-19 thing, obviously, I'm not happy that happened. But if like Harla would have been born at any other point in the world in history and still had the same complications, like. I would not have been able to be at the hospital and afford to go at the hospital, be at the hospital without, you know, being laid off and getting the unemployment and all these things. Like, I'm not saying it's good that that happened, but the timing there is just like, it could not have been better in that sense. And there's just, there's so many things here where you're talking about N.T. Wright, you know, he would argue that when it talks about faith, when we see in the in the New Testament, a lot of times it's really the faithfulness of God, right? Not mm-hmm. necessarily we have this hope in God, but we're putting our trust in a God who is always faithful. And for the infant island natives, they've always trusted Mothra. Even if we've seen in like Mothra versus Godzilla, they may not understand Mothra's heart. They may not understand what her will is. They still have faith in her. Mm-hmm. So when I'm talking about like the idea of prayers of the, the oppressed and all that, I just, I think back to, you know, even in the civil war, like, you know, black slaves were not waiting for white people to slay them. They took things under their own hands, right? Mm -hmm. You know, they had the underground railroad, they were teaching themselves the Bible, all of these things, like they took their own freedom into their own hands. And in the civil rights movement, I mean, of course, yes, black leaders wanted to see their white brothers and sisters join them in that battle. But even Martin Luther King's like, I can't wait for you guys to do the right thing. You know, Mm -hmm. that's so I I think of those moments where in, in history with the black church, it's always been, and I'm not speaking obviously from experience, but just, you know, the, the writings that I've read and just, you know, from my friends that, has spoken on it is just when those prayers come out to the Lord, it's always for deliverance, but it's also with a definitiveness that honestly, like I don't, I rarely see in like a white church. Right. Mm -hmm. Because again, it's our faith is so, it's so like, it's not tangible. It's not rooted to anything solid. It's just 
again, wishful thinking. It's we haven't really felt that that need. Like maybe yes, we're we're crying out to the Lord for help, but we're not actually like a lot of us have never been in that point of actual like needing deliverance and needing freedom. And when you mm-hmm. have those experiences, your prayers look a lot different. So I just, right. I don't know, just watching that movie, it was just interesting, like seeing for the first time in a while, the divinity element coming back in and what that had to do with the natives. Cause this is the first time that we've actually seen the Shobijin are always the ones who are like captured or whatever, right? This is the first time where we've actually seen the infant Island natives be the captives. Yeah. I did notice somewhere in the notes you said this is the first movie that takes place on an island. Yeah. And I'm like, isn't Japan an island? But um a tropical island. <laughs> uh, so here's my question. Just broadly, if this movie did start King Kong instead of Godzilla, would how would the conversation shift? Would we even be having the same conversation? Mm-hmm. Would we care that it doesn't have a thesis statement? And can I tack any more questions on the end of this list? Oh, I'm sure you could. Because <laughs> I will. Because we have Jay St. G who pretty much asks us a lot of the same questions. Oh, um, thank you, Jay. Yeah. So I'll add his questions on, but I think, you know, that's a great way to end the episode here. Because um, he he asked, he's like, do you think that Ebra would have been a better movie if it starred King Kong, like it was originally written for, or do you like the movie as is? Um, yeah, I don't think the conversation would be the same because I don't think people, I'll, I'll be honest, like, even though a lot of people love kaiju films, the, the King Kong movies have never been as popular. So I don't think, at least in this fandom, so I don't think the conversation really would be happening. Like, it, it's funny, up until about a year ago, you know, most people wrote off King Kong vs. Godzilla as being one of the silliest movies in the entries in the series because they only watched the American version. Because most people, that was the only one you could see legally. Mm-hmm. Until the Criterion collection came out and showed the, the Japanese one, people were like, oh, wow, this is actually a good movie, right? People just wrote it off because the suit looked funky and all that stuff. As we get into King Kong Escapes, yeah, it's a fun movie, but like, it's not really one people talk about at all. So I think if it was King Kong, I mean, yeah, I don't think we would be having this conversation at all. Um, I like the movie as it is. I think tonally it would make more sense if it was King Kong. Mm -hmm. But knowing what comes after this, I'm glad it was Godzilla because some of these movies coming after this are some of my favorites. So, like, yeah, I, I'm absolutely fine with the changes that were made. So what about you? Yeah, I kind of look at this at the same... I look at this as the same level as, like, Gamera and the Space Women. Like, if it's bad, it's... Oh, well. It's a curiosity. Like, if it was King Kong instead of Godzilla, I... If it was bad, we just don't want to have to think about it again. But mm-hmm. I could see in terms of a King Kong movie that when King Kong doesn't really have, as far as I know, doesn't have as many thesis statements that to release a movie without any overriding themes, fine. So I was just really curious if you just straight up replaced it, um, 
I think this there would be so many fewer problems and so much less to talk about. So yeah, in the long run, it's probably okay that we got this way. <laughs> yeah, and I think that goes back to it's interesting how little they changed, even though they changed monsters, right? You would have assumed, okay, well, since it's Godzilla, you know, why would there still have to be that, not like love interest, right? But then it just kind of makes me think how much had they record uh, not recorded how much had they filmed before that change was made because obviously they didn't make a new suit for him right Mm -hmm. so my thought is it is pretty last minute uh but yeah i just i don't know i mean you say there would be less problems but god i mean look at how ugly the kong suit is like that in itself is a problem so Mm -hmm. it's uh man that thing will forever haunt me but yeah i just i think it's uh I'm I'm glad we got the movie for what it is. It's not. I hate that it's, you have to say that a movie is not perfect. Because if you say you love something, people are like, but what about this and this? I'm like, okay. I mean, my wife loves me. I'm not perfect. Like, that's it's completely reasonable. Mm-hmm. Um, so when I say that, like, I do love this movie. Of course, I acknowledge its flaws. But, I mean, this is this is just one of those guys' old movies I could turn on any time and be completely fine like there's just something about these late 60s to 70s movies that are just it's so much fun you know i don't want to necessarily you talk about parasite like i loved parasite it's not a movie i would just turn on no you know no i agree it's no hot rod that's for sure (laughs) 10 out of 10 favorite movies yeah hot rod hot rod God, I'm surprised I got five movies into it before someone's like, wait a minute, this seems weird. <laughs> <laughs> so do you have any thoughts before uh, before we sign off this evening? Oh, wait a minute. I hmm. totally forgot. Do you know what time it is? Peanut butter jelly time. Check it out! All right, I'll let you start. Uh, my favorite death was the death of the Godzilla franchise. <laughs> oh, wait, we just said this wasn't that. Uh, <laughs> gosh, you know, I should have known this was coming, and I still didn't think much about it. Um, I'll go with the the two... Infant Island, excuse me, the Infant Island people, uh, the guys who escaped on the boat and they end up getting eaten by Ebra. Like, that was so graphic. I was not, like, when I watched okay, that again yeah. for the first time in a while, I was like, oh, 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 oh yeah. It kind of was, wasn't it? I was a little surprised there. Yeah. Um, so, I pour one out to you, unnamed island natives. Uh, man, gosh, Okay, I hate to be that guy, but I want that too. You can have one and I'll take the other. <laughs> I, I, You know, it's funny that I forgot that though, because it, it is kind of, it was a little like, not shocking, but not, not off-putting, but I was surprised. I was like, whoa, where does this come from? Okay, if you're going to do that, then I will do a uh, giant condor then, because he got roasted. <laughs> yeah, true. Which I did forget to mention. So if I remember right, 
that monster was actually taken from the old Rodan suit and they repurposed it as the giant condor. Huh. Yeah. It is. We are we are kind of getting to the age, and I'm sure you're gonna be like, haha, just you wait. But like where these just are getting crammed full of monsters mm-hmm. and almost distractingly so. Just wait till we get to destroy all monsters. Well, but they're all gonna die in that one, right? Or are they not destroyed? Don't spoil it. Yeah, it's uh let's just say the title is Ancient Near Eastern War Rhetoric. <laughs> two other people are going to laugh at that i know that was a deep cut okay (laughs) so next week the movie we are watching is oh son of godzilla yeah how excited are you chris i was so excited like i don't think you guys realize how excited chris really is for this this is like one of the two films we've been building towards yeah next episode is like the climax yeah which not to like spoil anything but out of all of the Fukuda films this is probably actually my favorite what son of godzilla oh yeah oh heck yeah yeah i i have no shame in admitting that <laughs> i know you named yourself that on my netflix account <laughs> <laughs> i did <laughs> i did i yeah i'm one of the like five people in the world who does not hate menya um, but yeah, it's a 1967 flick, Son of Godzilla. Um, yeah, I'm I'm super excited. Uh, I think I think this is where I'll be really curious to see what people's comments are when I ask a question for our discussion next time. But but the question is, if J.J. Abrams directed the rise of Godzilla, who would be Minya's mom? I know what the rule 34 people would say. Oh, no. (laughs) Wait, did I just accidentally ask our listeners to ship? You did. Maybe it wasn't an accident. You did. And this ship did not have any ever juice. So we are now sank. Okay, guys. Thank you again for tuning in to this episode of the Kaiju Apostle podcast. If you tolerated what you heard, uh, (laughs) if you have a comment you'd like to share, or if you have a summons to court over the brain damage that we've caused, let us know over on Twitter or Instagram. Uh, Our handles for both or Kaiju Apostle Pod, or you can email us at contact the at sorry, contact the Kaiju Apostle. You know the drill. Contact at the Kaiju. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, don't do that. Uh, you can also follow Chris on Twitter at Chris Worms. Um, I'm going to ask you each time. So, which Sentai are you watching now? Um, I'm still on Die Ranger because okay. it's impossible for me to work at home and watch a subtitled show at the same time. Yeah. Okay. So, you should definitely chat with him on that. There's also been some cool Star Wars news, too. So if you care about Star Wars, he's uh, he's a go-to guy on that. Um, or Animal Crossing. Or Animal Crossing, yeah, that too. That was really a lot of my tweets <laughs> this past week. <laughs> and then uh, you guys know how the Apple reviews work. If you don't have a uh, iTunes account, I get it. Um, I also want to give another shout-out, though, to the Monsters vs. Men guys. Um before we close, they actually just had their last Godzilla episode. I think it's been like 40 episodes. They went through a movie each week. It was crazy. They're now moving yeah. on to Gamera. So wanted to give a shout out to you guys. 
I pour one out for the Monsters vs. Men podcast. Yeah. Yeah, because uh, Gamera is a rough ride. It gets better, but it's rough. So You've got the space women. Godzilla speed. <laughs> so, yeah, this, is, uh, this has been a fun episode. Uh, looking forward to hearing from y'all, and have a great day slash night slash evening slash whatever time, time it is. Ti- yes, time is meaningless. Everything is meaningless. <laughs>